Good afternoon, everyone. I'd like to welcome you to our fourth quarter earnings conference call. And joining me today is our chairperson and CEO, Mark Hurd, and CFO, Bob Wayman. Before we get started, I'd like to remind you that this call is being webcast live, the webcast and the four quarters earnings slide presentation, including non-GAAP reconciliation tables, can be accessed on the HP Investor Relations page under company information on hp.com. A replay will also be available shortly after the conclusion of the call for approximately one year. Next, it's my duty to inform you that the primary purpose of this call is to provide you with information regarding the fourth quarter and fiscal year end. However, some of our comments and responses to your questions may include forward-looking statements. These forward-looking statements are based on certain assumptions and are subject to a number of risks and uncertainties, and actual future results may vary materially. I encourage you to read the risk factors described in the company's annual report on Form 10-K for the fiscal year ended October 31, 2005, the company's quarterly report on Form 10-Q for the fiscal quarter ended July 31, 2006, as well as other SEC reports filed after that date. As in prior years, the financial information presented and discussed in connection with this call, including tax-related items, reflects estimates based on the information available at this time. As such, these amounts can differ materially from the amounts ultimately reported in HP's Form 10-K for the fiscal year ended October 31, 2006. I'd also like to point out that earnings, gross margins, operating expenses, and similar items discussed at a company level are sometimes expressed on a non-GAAP basis and therefore have been adjusted to exclude certain items, including in-process R&D, amortization of goodwill and purchase intangibles, restructuring charges, pension curtailment gains, and net investment gains or losses. The presentation of GAAP financial information for the fourth quarter and fiscal year end and a reconciliation of non-GAAP amounts to GAAP are included in the financial statements accompanying today's earnings release, which is also available on the HP Investor Relations page under company information at hp.com. Finally, and with a view to allowing time for questions from multiple firms, please refrain from asking multi-part questions or clarifications. With that, I'll turn the call over to Mark. Okay, thank you, Brian. Good afternoon. Thank you for uh, joining us. Uh, Hewlett-Packard closed the year with a strong fourth quarter, driven by solid revenue growth across all our businesses and geographies, share gains in key businesses, expense discipline, margin expansion, and record quarterly cash flow from operations. We saw significant operating margin improvements in our reportable segments with a year-over-year operating profit increase of 68% in the personal systems group, 42% in the technology solutions group, and 21% in the image and printing group. All of this resulted in our most balanced segment profitability performance in many years, with the technology solutions group delivering a similar fourth quarter dollar profit contribution as the imaging and printing group. Financial highlights of the quarter include revenue growth of 7% year-over-year, or $1.6 billion, to $24.6 billion. Non-GAAP gross margin of 24.3%, up from 23.5% in the prior year period. Continued year-over-year operating margin expansion in key businesses, with personal systems margins of 4.3%, image and printing margins of 14.8%, enterprise storage and server margins of 10.7%, HP services margins of 12.4%, and software margins of 17.2%. Non-GAAP operating margin of 9%, up from 7.6% in the prior year period. Non-GAAP EPS of $0.68, representing 33% year-over-year, and cash flow from operations 
of $3.2 billion, up from $1.9 billion in the prior year period. The fourth quarter closed out a strong fiscal 2006 for Hewlett-Packard. On a year-over-year basis, revenue grew $5 billion, or 6%, to $91.7 billion. Non-GAAP operating margins grew 1.6 points to 8% of revenue. Non-GAAP EPS grew 47% to $2.38. Cash flow from operations grew $3.3 billion to $11.4 billion. During the year, we also made significant progress to strengthen HP's long-term competitive position in the market, including lowering our cost structure by substantially completing our restructuring program and beginning to work on other cost initiatives, such as our real estate consolidation initiative, bringing up capital for strategic growth initiatives, including Salesforce hiring, beginning to deploy capital back into the business in the form of increased capital expenditures aimed at transforming our IT infrastructure, and strengthening our enterprise software offerings with the purchase of Mercury Interactive, creating one of the most powerful management software portfolios in the industry. We also simplified our structure. We collapsed matrices, created greater clarity of responsibility, focused on accountability, attracted talent to our management bench, and rewarded our employees for hard work and improved performance. I'm particularly pleased that we've been able to post another quarter of solid results while continuing to make progress on longer-term strategic initiatives. Now, turning to the business segments and the fourth quarter results. Imaging and printing had a strong quarter. Revenue grew 7% year-over-year to $7.3 billion, with supplies revenue growth of 9%, and revenue in commercial and consumer up 8% and 2% respectively. Over the past 18 months, we've been focused on accelerating supplies growth by driving hardware shipment growth in areas of high supplies consumption. We executed well against this plan in the fourth quarter, with total printer hardware units up 17% year-over-year driven by commercial printer hardware unit growth of 20% and consumer printer hardware unit growth of 16%. Momentum and key growth initiatives continued, with all-in-one unit shipments up 22% year-over-year. Appliance photo printers up 70%, color laser printer shipments up 40%, and printer-based multifunction shipments up 160%. HP Indigo Press printed page volume grew 41% over the prior year period. This unit shipment momentum has strengthened our share leadership position in both the inkjet and laser markets, and we are confident that today's results will further extend our lead. The progress can also be tied back to the acceleration of our supplies growth rate, which in turn has helped us drive margins in the high end of our 13 to 15% operating margin range, thereby allowing us to reinvest in pricing and promotional activities, as well as further technology advancements and new growth initiatives. We'll spend more time on these initiatives in our forthcoming security analyst meeting in New York City on December 12th. Segment operating profit was $1.1 billion, or 14.8% of revenue, up from 132 in the prior year period, as supply strength offset pricing and promotional actions taken to drive hardware placements. All in all, another excellent quarter in imaging and printing. Moving out of personal systems, which had a strong quarter characterized by solid revenue growth, market share gains, and record operating margins. During the fourth quarter, revenue grew 10% year-over-year to $7.8 billion, driven by unit growth of 16%. We continue to see strong performance in our notebook business, with revenue growth of 24% over the prior year period. 
driven by double-digit revenue growth in both consumer and commercial notebooks. Revenue in desktops was flat year-over-year, while revenue in workstations grew 10%. We continue to execute well in our consumer business, leveraging a competitive product lineup and strong retail partnerships. Revenue in consumer clients increased 19% year-over-year, with revenue in commercial clients up 4%. Our top-line momentum has driven market share gains in recent quarters, and according to preliminary data, HP took the number one share position in PCs during the third calendar quarter. But more importantly, we gained share while driving margin expansion. During the fourth quarter, segment operating profit was $336 million, or 4.3% of revenue, up from 2.8% in the prior year period. This represents our highest personal systems operating margins in a number of years. You should expect us to continue to balance revenue growth and profitability by being disciplined on cost and leveraging our strengths in notebooks, in consumer, in the commercial and retail channels, and in international markets. Moving out of the technology solutions group, where we continue to drive significant margin expansion, giving HP some of the best balance of segment profitability we've had in many years. We posted a solid quarter in enterprise storage and servers, with revenue growth of 4% year-over-year to $4.7 billion, and segment operating profit of $502 million, or 10.7% of revenue, up from the 9% in the prior year period. This margin represents our highest levels in a number of years, and I'm pleased with the progress we've made in the last 12 months as we align ourselves to better compete in growth markets and better harvest the more mature markets in which we compete. Within ESS, we saw an acceleration of growth in industry standard servers, with revenue up 9% year-over-year, driven by 38% growth in blades. Revenue and storage grew 1%, with growth of 11% in our mid-range EVA offerings, offset by declines in the high-end array and tape businesses. While the growth profile of our storage business is negatively impacted by our mix towards a declining tape market, we are not happy with our storage growth in the fourth quarter and we need to do a better job of driving top-line momentum in the coming year. Business-critical systems revenue decreased 4% year-over-year, with integrity server revenue growth of 77%, offset by revenue declines in PA risk and alpha. During the quarter, we did begin shipping Montecito-based integrity servers, and this positions us well for growth in the coming quarters. We closed the year with approximately 9,700 ISV applications ported to Itanium, and with integrity representing 45% of Q4 business critical systems revenue. We had a solid quarter in HP services, with revenue growth of 5% year-over-year to $4.1 billion, led by managed services and consulting and integration growth of 16% and 7% respectively. Revenue in technology services was essentially flat over the prior year period. I'm pleased with the solid improvement in HPS margins. The segment posted fourth quarter operating profit of $505 million, or 12.4% of revenue, up from 8.3% in the prior year period. Over the past three to four quarters, we have spent considerable energy working on various cost and efficiency levers within HP services. We have made significant progress reducing the unit cost of service delivery and strengthening our portfolio of standardized and automated offerings. At the same time, these efforts were supported by the other company-level cost initiatives that serve to reduce the cost burden allocated to the various segments within HP. And given the size 
and headcount intensity of HP services, the segment benefited proportionally. I'm confident that we're in a better position to drive the appropriate operating leverage in this business, and while we have more work to do, I feel that we are now in a better position to grow and compete in the market at acceptable margins. We had a strong quarter in HP software, where revenue grew 14% over the prior year period to $349 million, driven by OpenView growth of 28%, which did benefit from the Peregrine acquisition. Revenue in HP OpenCall declined 11% from the prior year period. Software reported an operating profit of $60 million, or 17.2% of revenue, up from a profit of $28 million, or 9.2% of revenue, in the prior year period. Reflecting the improvements we've been making to our model and associated operating leverage that comes with our scale. On November 6th, we closed the acquisition of Mercury, which significantly increases our scale and strengthens our software offerings. Given Mercury's traditional fiscal year end is December 31st, we have decided to operate it as a standalone, wholly owned subsidiary of HP until early 2007. However, we are focused on integrating Mercury as quickly and effectively as possible, and work is already underway on sales tools, go-to-market programs, and cross-training to enable HP OpenView and Mercury Salesforce to sell combined port- a combined portfolio in February. We expect to launch an integrated product roadmap within 90 days of the close, and we have joint product, program- uh, product teams working on product integration planning for HP OpenView and Mercury. We're pleased to see the improvements in our core portfolio and believe that the combined strengths of HP and Mercury position us to help CIOs enhance the value and optimize the business outcome of IT investments. Executing against these goals will enable us to drive further revenue growth and margin expansion opportunities in HP software. Finally, bear in mind that the operating margin of the software business will be impacted by the write-down of deferred revenue and other integration costs associated with the acquisition of Mercury in the coming quarters. I'll conclude my segment comments by reiterating that we had a solid fourth quarter across the entire portfolio. I am pleased with the progress we made over the past 18 months, and we know that we have opportunities for further improvement ahead. With that, I'd like to turn it over to uh, Bob. Thank you, Mark, and good afternoon, everyone. I'll begin with a review of the performance of our financial services business. Revenue for HPFS during the quarter was $545 million, up 6% year-over-year and 5% sequentially. The revenue increase reflects increased financing volume, which was up 1% year-over-year and 12% sequentially. End-of-lease transactions contributed to the sequential increase. Portfolio assets increased 4% year-over-year and 2% sequentially, and are now at their highest level in several years. Operating margin was 6.4%, down from 10.1% in Q4 of last year and 6.7% in Q3. The year-over-year margin decline reflects the release of certain accounts receivable reserves in the prior year period. While we are encouraged, we are encouraged with the growth in financing volume over the last several quarters. We know we have more work to do and are focused on continuing volume momentum. Before getting into the key elements of the P&L, let me remind you that fiscal 2006 results, including cost of sales, operating expenses, operating profit, net income, and EPS did not include, I'm sorry, 2005 results did not include the impact of FAS 123 stock-based compensation. Consistent with last quarter, 
To assist you in comparing results versus prior periods, we have included a quarterly historical EPS trend in the financial tables accompanying the earnings release. This should allow you to view the results as though all stock-based compensation had been included in previously reported results. Non-GAAP EPS for the quarter was $0.68, cents, including approximately $0.04 cents from stock-based compensation, up from $0.51 cents a year ago, which again excluded the impact of FAS-123R. GAAP EPS for the quarter was $0.60, cents, which included $208 million, or $0.07 cents in after-tax adjustments that were not included in our non-GAAP results. The adjustments primarily relate to restructuring charges and the amortization of purchased intangibles. A quick update on restructuring. During the quarter, approximately 4,200 positions were eliminated related to the July 2005 announcement, bringing the cumulative total to about 14,200. While the restructuring program is substantially complete, we do expect to eliminate approximately 1,000 remaining positions in Q107. Now on to the P&L. Revenue of $24.6 billion for the quarter was up 7% year-over-year and up 6% when adjusted for the effects of currency. On a regional basis, revenue was up 8% in the Americas, up 7% in EMEA, and up 6% in Asia-Pacific. When adjusted for the effects of currency, revenue was up 7% in the Americas, 3% in EMEA, and 7% in Asia-Pacific. As to gross profit, gross profit was $6 billion for the quarter, or 24.3% of revenue up from 23.5% a year ago and down from 24.8% sequentially. Gross margin improved year-over-year in each of our non-financing business segments, reflecting improved operational effectiveness in key areas, including option attach, delivery efficiency, utilization, and discount controls, as well as favorable mix in certain businesses. Non-GAAP operating expense totaled $3.8 billion for the quarter, or 15.3% of revenue, down from 15.9% a year ago and 17.2% sequentially. In dollars, operating expenses were up 3% year-over-year and flat sequentially. Adjusting for currency, expenses were up 2% year-over-year and flat sequentially. The year-over-year increase primarily reflects volume growth, the inclusion of FAS-123R expenses, and investments in growth initiatives, such as the continued hiring of sales resources, as well as additional demand generation, offset by position eliminations as part of our restructuring program. Non-GAAP operating profit was $2.2 billion, or 9.0% of revenue, up $470 million year-over-year, despite the inclusion of approximately $140 million of stock-based compensation in the current period. Non-GAAP other income and expense was pre-tax income of $190 million, or roughly $0.05 cents per share after tax, above the $0.03 to $0.04 cents per share we had guided coming into the quarter. The excess reflects the favorable impact of currency as well as real estate gains. Our non-GAAP tax rate was 20.5% for the quarter, slightly above our guidance. One other item of note in the P&L. Unallocated corporate costs, excluding stock-based compensation, increased approximately $25 million year-over-year and $103 million sequentially. The sequential increase primarily reflects an increase in lease volume and a change in the operating lease mix within HPFS. In a company profit, 
on operating lease transactions is eliminated in this lineup. As such, as volume and operating lease mix increase, the unallocated balance will grow as more eliminations are booked. Increased legal expenses also contributed to the increase both sequentially and year over year. Next, the balance sheet. HBO and inventory came in at $7.8 billion, up $873 million year over year, and up $286 million sequentially. Inventory days of supply stands at 38 days, up from 35 days last year and down from 41 days sequentially. The year-over-year increase in inventory reflects volume growth, strategic buys, and supply chain changes designed to optimize our cost structure. The sequential increase is in line with normal seasonality. Now, I know there's a lot of interest in channel inventory, so I'll add some additional perspective to this quarter. Overall, we're very comfortable with channel inventory levels. PSG ended the quarter at roughly four weeks, ESS at roughly four and a half weeks, and IPG at roughly five and a half weeks. PSG weeks are flat year over year, and both ESS and IPG weeks are up slightly. In terms of channel inventory dollars, ISS, which makes up the majority of ESS channel inventory, are up in line with revenue growth. PSG channel dollars are up only slightly compared to a 10% top-line growth. IPG channel dollar growth slightly outpaced revenue growth, reflecting increased supplies associated with significant hardware unit growth over the past year. Total company channel inventory dollars are up roughly in line with top-line performance and our outlook for the first quarter. Trade receivables ended the quarter at $10.9 billion, up $970 million year over year and $1.2 billion sequentially. DSO now stands at 40 days, up from 39 days year over year, and flat sequentially. Next, property plant and equipment was up 412 million year over year and 494 million sequentially at $6.9 billion. Gross CapEx was 965 million, up 85% year over year and 55% sequentially. On a net basis, CapEx was 868 million, up 95% year-over-year and 123% sequentially. The year-over-year increase in CapEx reflects incremental investments in IT as well as increases in financing assets. Net PP&E as a percent of revenue now stands at 7.5%, up from 7.4% year-over-year and 7.1% sequentially. Regarding accounts payable, days payable closed the quarter at 59 days, up from 52 days year-over-year year and 58 days sequentially. Now some comments on cash. Cash flow from operations and free cash flow were both very strong at $3.2 billion and $2.4 billion, respectively, for the quarter. For the full year, cash flow from operations was $11.4 billion, and free cash flow was $9.4 billion, both up over 40% from fiscal 2005, which was a record cash flow year. During the quarter, we repurchased... 1 billion in stock in the open market, or approximately 30 million shares. In addition, we received approximately 13 million shares under the prepaid variable share purchase program that we entered into earlier this year. So a total of 43 million shares were acquired during the quarter. For the full year, we repurchased 190 million shares in the open market and received an additional 34 million shares under the prepaid plan. In addition, we paid out $219 million in the quarter for our normal dividend and $894 million for the full year. 
We closed the quarter with gross cash of $16.4 billion, up from $13.9 billion last year, and $16 billion sequentially. Net cash was $11.2 billion, up from $8.7 billion last year, and $9.2 billion sequentially. In terms of cash usage for fiscal 2007, a significant bonus payout will occur in the first quarter related to the strong operating performance of the company in fiscal 2006, and this will put pressure on operating cash flow in Q107. Beyond impact on operating cash flow, we did have a net cash outlay of approximately $4.5 billion earlier this month related to our acquisition of Mercury. In addition, we expect fiscal 2007 gross and net capex to trend at or above fiscal 2006 levels as we continue to build out our data centers and deploy capital to consolidate and upgrade our real estate facilities. Now a few comments on our outlook. Historically, revenue declines a bit over 2% from Q4 to Q1 in constant currency. Given where rates are today, we do not expect a significant sequential currency effect. On November 6th, we closed the acquisition of Mercury, and you should therefore begin to incorporate the results into your estimates for HP. However, as we indicated at the time the deal was announced, purchase accounting rules required a significant write-down of deferred revenue. As such, based on our expectations for Mercury and the results of the purchase accounting entries, we expect approximately $800 million in revenue associated with Mercury in fiscal 2007. Taking these factors into account, we estimate Q107 revenue will be approximately $24.1 to $24.3 billion, and revenue for 2007 full year to be approximately $97 billion. Regarding earnings, there are a few variables to consider. Given the software P&L characteristics of Mercury, we expect the acquisition to have a positive effect on total company gross margin of approximately 50 basis points and a negative impact on total company expense ratio of approximately 50 basis points. On an overall basis, the Mercury transaction is expected to be approximately $0.04 cent dilutive to our non-GAAP per share earnings in FY07. In 07, we will continue to fund investments to drive short-term and long-term growth initiatives. We expect NAS 123R expenses of approximately $0.04 cents in Q107 and $0.14 cents in FY207 up slightly from $0.13 cents in fiscal 2006. Although we've reduced the number of options granted relative to prior year levels, the fair value of each option granted in fiscal 2006 and expectations for fair value in fiscal 2007 grants have significantly increased, reflecting the rise in stock price and a slight increase in volatility from 2006 to 2007. This has caused related expenses to be higher than previously anticipated, notwithstanding the reduction in option grants. With respect to restructuring, as we continue to look for ways to optimize our cost structure, we expect expenses associated with any future actions to be absorbed by our business segments, barring any significant transaction or change in our business model. Accordingly, such expenses will be accounted for as normal business activity and will be included in our non-GAAP results. Any adjustments to previously announced restructuring plans will still be treated as an adjustment to non-GAAP results. We estimate non-GAAP OI&E to be about 3 to $0.04 cents per share per quarter in 07, which primarily reflects baseline net interest income given projected cash and debt levels. 
We will call out deviations from this baseline as appropriate. Bear in mind that given the significant outlay of cash related to Mercury, we expect interest income to be at the low end of the 3 to $0.04 cent guidance in Q1. We expect a non-GAAP tax rate of about 20% for Q107 and the full year. While we expect to continue to repurchase shares in fiscal 2007, given the current share price and our expectations for option exercise patterns and the impact on common stock equivalents, we expect a modest decline in shares outstanding in Q107, with shares likely to be somewhat flat for the remainder of the year. With that in mind, we expect Q107 non-GAAP EPS of 60 to 62 cents, which includes approximately one cent dilution from mercury. For FY07, we expect non-GAAP EPS of 248 to 253, which includes approximately four cents dilution from mercury. So all in all, we closed FY06 positively, and our increased outlook for 2007 reflects our progress to date. With that, we'll take your questions. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your touchtone phone. If your question has been answered or you would like to withdraw your question, press star 2. Please press star 1 to begin now, and please stand by for a moment while we gather the list. Your first question comes from the line of Andrew Neff with Bear Stearns. Please proceed. Thanks very much. Um, I guess the question I wanted to ask was just one of, as you look at the different business areas, is there room for further improvement? You've made a lot of improvement in terms of the margins. Um, you know, it, it's going it to get better than this. And, and specifically, you can talk about how you're going to, uh, in terms of you've talked about the IT savings, how do, when do we begin to see the impact of that? Well, Andy, thanks uh, for the question. Listen, we got to do better than this. And, and, you know, this was a good quarter for us, uh, clearly, uh, in terms of how you would look at milestones um, along the way. And, and, you know, as I said in my, uh, my comments, um, we've been successful, I think, at delivering on the short-term uh, milestones we've had, but, but frankly, investing for the long term. And, you know, that includes, to your point, being able to improve our cost structure. And our cost structure has work left to do, and uh, we've got to get that done at the same time as investing for growth. So, you know, we certainly aren't taking any victory lap here. You know, we, we, we've got work to do, but I will tell you at the same time, I am pleased with the progress. Thanks, Andy. Next question, please. Your next question comes from the line of Keith Bachman with Bank of America. Please proceed. Yeah, thanks very much. I wanted to, um, Bob or Mark, not sure who, but talk about the inventories um, I, if I heard you right, uh, your comment was that it didn't impact the level of sales since it was normalized compared to last year's. Can you just please confirm that? And my follow-up is it, it does look like correspondingly that account receivables was up sequentially more than I would have anticipated. So I just want to come back and see how that relates to your inventory comments and you know, get any color there, uh, additional color, please on how the AR bump might have been impacted by the sequential change in inventories. So, uh, you know, our, our fourth quarter is always um, back-end loaded. August is slow and October is big. And um, as you saw, we, we, we exceeded uh, revenue estimates, and uh, frankly, some of that comes from uh, the strength that we saw late in the quarter, and that, uh, that strength in revenue is not yet collected, and uh, so receivables tend to be a little bit higher. So. Uh, you know, it's, we're, we're very much impacted by consumer um, 
volumes this time of year, and uh, it's, it's been a, a strength of the company, and that, that's reflected there. Uh, we have built uh, our inventory. Inventory has grown a little faster than revenue. It is, as I said, uh, up. Um, it stands at 38 days compared to 35 days last year, uh, but uh, we feel good about our inventory. It's fresh inventory. It's what we want. Uh, the inventory build that we've actually seen in prior quarters and in this quarter have served us well in terms of meeting what continues to be uh, a pretty decent market demand. So um, we have, uh, we have, you know, I think, the right levels of inventory in, in the, the right places. I mentioned strategic buys. We've talked about this for a number of quarters. Uh, we are buying inventory when we can get good prices on it, uh, and that, too, has served us well. It has helped us uh, achieve a better cost structure and a better gross margin and um, to be more competitive in the marketplace. Uh, Keith, I just said one thing on the on the owned inventory side. We are really looking at, at at a total cost structure as we look at inventory. So inventory is one dimension of an aggregated, optimized cost structure to look at our overall COGS positioning. And so some of the owned inventory is literally a position to lower our COGS. So uh, this is not uh, an accident, if you will, in terms of uh, some of the stuff that uh, uh, that you're describing. Uh, on the channel inventory side, listen, we're trying to optimize the uh, the answer in the sense of both uh, being in a position to take care of, of, of future demand um, at the same time as we're taking care of the quarter demand. And I think at the quarter overall, we're, we're generally comfortable. As, as anything, there's stories within the story, uh, depending on what, what, what region you've got to and what product line. But when you look at the company overall, we feel pretty comfortable with where we are. Okay. Thank you, Keith. We'll take the next question, please. Your next question comes from the line of Ben Reitzes with UBS. Please proceed. Thanks a lot. Uh, Mark, um, could you comment on Vista and the PC market? You had a great outperformance in the quarter. You're the number one PC company in the world. What does Vista mean for HP, not only in the first quarter, but as we go throughout the year? And, you know, as I look at your guidance, uh, it means about 5% organic growth if you exclude mercury, which is a deceleration from the 6% the last two quarters. I, I got to think if Vista's any any bit of an accelerator to the market, that's conservative guidance. So go ahead. I'll, that's all. Well, I appreciate the color on, on the guidance, uh, Ben. I think the um, uh, point on, on the PC business is that when you look at constant currency, you know, our performance has been been, been Pretty steady. I mean, I think when you when you look at it um, on Vista, um, you know, I think right now as it relates to the short term, um, we just don't know what'll happen as it comes up to the holiday, and really even not just the holiday, but post holiday to introduction, maybe a window that that you know we just can't we just can't forecast well enough, Ben, to be able to to, to tell you exactly how it'll work out. Now, as it relates to the long term. We feel good about it, and we feel good about our positioning within Vista. We we, we think we've, we're well positioned from an offering perspective. I um, mean, clearly, uh, not just Vista, but the collection of where we see demand based on what market segment, where we see it by region, um, and our product lineup combined. Yeah, we, we we feel pretty good about how we're uh, how we're positioned. Okay, thank you, Ben. Next question, please, operator. Your next question comes from the line of Harry Blunt with Lehman Brothers. Please proceed. Thank you. I just want to circle back on the restructuring, Bob. You may have mentioned it in the comments, but I missed it. Is you guys are, are now largely complete with uh, with the headcount reductions, but the cost savings still should carry over into fiscal 07. Could you remind me a little bit of how much the incremental impact is going to be in fiscal 07? 
Well, I'm not going to give you a, a new update for, for 07. What I will say is that uh, when you look year over year, certainly um, there's going to be significantly more cost savings in 07 than what we saw in 06. So uh, we have been coming down in headcount, or I should say our restructuring uh, effects have been, you know, a couple thousand a quarter until the fourth quarter where it was 4,200. And uh, obviously we have not seen the full-year benefit of that. So, um, you know, we expect to see additional savings from the actions that we have taken. Right. I, what I was driving at is trying to get an understanding of how much of the EPS improvement year over year guidance in 07 is coming from the uh, restructuring actions of 06 versus just core continued improvement in, in, in mix in other areas. I don't think we broke that out, Harry. <laughs> no, I, we're not. We're gonna, you know, the guidance we gave you, uh, you know, a year ago in terms of um, savings of um, – what was it? Around a, a billion in Q in, in about one point nine billion to two billion, right? With with a, around a billion or so of that in 06 getting you know significantly higher in 07. So Harry, just to give you a few data points, remember that part of that was a pension that we got uh, early in the year um, in 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 2006, and then you've seen a, uh, a, a I don't know what the right word for it, a blending of the improvements in Q1, Q2 into some of our sequential uh, quarter performance. So uh, clearly the Q4 sequential, uh, our actions sequentially will begin to have some effects now in, in 07. But we had a one-time <clears throat> pension action that occurred at the end of uh, 05, went on in 06, and then we, 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 we blended in from there. So that, that's really, uh, you know, where we're at with it. And, of course, as, as we discussed at the time, some of that will get reinvested back into the business in terms of whether it be pricing, uh, our competitiveness in proposals, our ability to hire uh, sales resource, et cetera. But, you know, clearly uh, it will be a help to us. Great, thanks. Uh, just just uh, one other item as well. We, we did say that, uh, you know, those, are, those growth savings, that maybe half of it would fall to the bottom line. And uh, certainly some of the success that you're seeing in uh, – in Q4 comes from investing some of that back in uh, driving, uh, uh, you know, better top-line results with demand generation spending, and hopefully over the longer term, some of the hiring we're doing of additional salespeople will uh, lead to um, additional growth as well. Yeah, I mean, Harry, I don't think that should be lost here, that, um, you know, we, part of what we're doing here is to try to do further work to variableize, you know, our cost structure. and. You know, when we do see opportunities in the marketplace to go grow and hopefully grow profitably, uh, we'll use some of that flexibility to take advantage of the opportunity. So, um, you know, we, we, we think we've made a bit of progress on this. We've, we've still got some work to do. Thank you, Harry. Next question, please. Your next question comes from the line of Laura Conegliaro with Goldman Sachs. Please proceed. Yes, thank you. C can you provide some observations on what's happening on the component front, including pricing? For example, which components seem to be in short supply and where the situation has gotten worse or better? Um, you had previously referred to the possibility, for example, of better CPU pricing given the AMD Intel competition, and are you seeing any of that yet? So, Laura, this is Bob. Um, certainly we did see uh, memory pricing pressures and availability issues uh, in Q4. Uh, we did get most of them resolved by the time we we, uh, we, we finished up. Uh, we did pay a little uh, more money for memory than we had planned going into the quarter in uh, a couple of our businesses. So memory has been the, the commodity of, uh, of interest uh, in Q4. Uh, we also had a few issues on, on microprocessor, particular um, you know, types of microprocessors. 
panels have been in um, in good supply, and pricing has been uh, been favorable there. Uh, panels is one area where we had, we've done some strategic buying, and it's it's uh, worked to our advantage. And hard drives really no change. Very competitive marketplace. Availability is pretty pretty good. Thanks, Laura. Next question, please, operator. Your next question comes from the line of Richard Gardner with Citigroup. Please proceed. All right. Well, uh, another question on the PC business, if I could, and uh, it relates to what looks to be a pretty significant shortfall uh, in in motherboard shipments out of Taiwan, which I think desktop motherboards in particular, which has led uh, folks to to believe that PC demand is uh, is deteriorating. Uh, it certainly doesn't look like you saw that in your results, but I'd love to to get your thoughts on the current demand environment and uh, any color that you can give us by customer segment and geographic region would be helpful. Thanks. Oh, I would say uh, that demand does differ a little by region and sometimes, frankly, Richard, within region. Uh, but if you aggregate it together, um, stable, uh, stable market demand. Um, so from that perspective, we don't see that instability that, that, that you're describing. Again, I could, I could go into lots of different stories um, by segment, by country, but, but when you net it all together, we saw, we saw stable demand. Could I follow up and, and just ask, Mark, if, if that, you... Isn't that against Brian's rules, but you know, go, <laughs> go, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. Uh, well, the question was whether you could give us any visibility on, on whether there was a, a, a sharp or significant downtick in commercial demand, PC demand during the quarter. No, I, I, I can't say, Richard. I saw that. I, you know, we, we saw pretty stable demand. Um, again, it, it can vary. If you ask me corporate by country, I could get into a couple. But when you looked at it at the aggregate, uh, no. Um, you know, our real issue in the quarter, if if anything on the supply side was in memory, as as Bob has has referenced, um, we paid up a little bit for memory. Uh, wish we wish we hadn't, but we we did. Um, and our overall macro demand picture was was roughly stable. Thanks, Richard. Next question, please. Your next question comes from the line of Tony Sakonagi with Sanford Bernstein. Please proceed. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, your gross margins declined about 50 basis points sequentially. If I look at your business mix, it looks perfectly neutral on a sequential basis. Supplies were up pretty well in line with uh, company revenue and um, the enterprise group, which also has pretty good margins, were actually up fractionally as a percentage of sales. So uh, it doesn't appear to be a mix issue. Were you incrementally more aggressive on price then? And um, can you comment uh, across what product families? Yeah, uh, I'll start, Tony. I think that uh, it, you know it is fair that in 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 a couple of groups we saw opportunity for growth. And uh, and we took it. Um, so you know, for example, in IPG, and you looked at uh, at overall mix. Um, the mix is sequentially different uh, as it relates to supplies versus hardware, which shows up in our 17% uh, uh, hardware unit growth. So um, yeah, clearly there is. I, w- I wouldn't describe it as an issue by underneath, but certainly in the mix of hardware, and certainly that did have an effect on on our margins. And, and Tony, mix uh, within segment is also important. Again, sticking with sticking with IPG, um, as, as uh, we mentioned in the script, you know, very strong growth in our our basic level printers. Uh, I think it was sixty percent, but uh, anyways, it's in it's in the script. A very very large growth, very large growth in color laser. Both of those are lower margin products than some of the other items in in our line. So. While uh, overall hardware may have been the same, um, you know, we definitely see a, a different mix of hardware within that 
hardware slice of the pie. Thanks, Tony. Next question, please. Your next question comes from the line of Richard Farmer with Merrill Lynch. Please proceed. Thanks, Mark and uh, and Bob. You both uh, talked about uh, cash flow and and cash generation in the quarter. And and Bob, you made some comments about uh, the first quarter of '07 uh, that the share count would modestly decline and and about flat in all of '07. If I heard you right, um, I'm just trying to reconcile. Uh, you have 16 billion of cash on the balance sheet. Uh, you know, net cash, I guess, 11 billion. Understand, you have to pay four and a half for Mercury, but. Uh, you're also generating $9 billion in operating, $7 billion in free cash flow. So, uh, you know, what are your priorities for the cash over the next couple of years, and why wouldn't you use the majority of the $7 billion in, in free cash generation for buybacks, and why wouldn't share count go down uh, a lot more than, than you articulated? Well, of course, I have to say I don't know, because it all depends upon what happens to share price and some other uh, some other things. And while we did spend $4.5 billion on Mercury, that's just in Q1. Who knows what we will need for acquisition throughout the year. So all of this is based upon a bunch of assumptions. I will tell you, my comments assume that we would continue uh, using a good hunk of that free cash flow for, for share buybacks. Um, keep in mind, though, that uh, you know the share price is uh, quite a bit higher today than it was on, on average for uh, 06, and so it just doesn't go as far. Furthermore, as the share price moves up, Option exercises pick up. We've seen that. We saw that in Q4. We saw it throughout the year. We saw it again in Q4. And my comments assume that uh, as uh, we get into the 40s here, we'll see even more option exercises. So it's, it's all of those variables mixed together. Uh, one other I should mention, of course, we have to calculate common stock equivalents, which, again, get directly driven by increased share price. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of dynamics here. It's my best guess uh, that it, Come down a little in Q1 and then stay roughly flat. I mean, could it come down a little bit more? We'll see. Um, do we intend to keep buying, um, I'll call it aggressively? Uh, yes, unless something else changes in the world around us. Thanks, Richard. Thanks. I mean, I, I want one thing. We're going to be active, Richard, I mean, you know, in, in the area. I mean, I think the point is we've worked real hard to get our option overhang uh, down. We're working on it. Um, and, you know, we'll continue to be active. So, I mean, to Bob's point, I don't think you should have any expectations that we won't be, uh, but we've got other factors as we as we consider our aggregated capital strategy. Yeah, we do have 5.6 billion remaining of the authorization that was uh, uh, that the board uh, acted on uh, last quarter. Okay, next question, please, operator. Your next question comes from the line of Rebecca Brunkel with Morgan Stanley. Please proceed. Thanks, uh, Mark. Just a quick question, following up on your storage performance and comments. Clearly, a phenomenal quarter uh, across the board. But you noted storage as one area of weakness. Just you know, as you sit here now and look at that business, what in your mind are the issues? Is it technology? Is it product? Is it go to market? And what are the top you know, strategies for in turning that business around over the next four quarters? Well, there's a couple of different dimensions to it, Rebecca. Uh, first, uh, it's a business that's worked hard to improve its operating margin, which it's done, and I think that, that part's uh, a positive, so I don't want to take away from that. Uh, but but to be very blunt, we're, I'm disappointed in the revenue growth of the business. I think that uh, the market's a strong market for us. We're investing in the market. We think we actually have a pretty strong product lineup right now. And uh, we just need to do a better job from a demand creation perspective. And, you know, there's opportunities for us in, in the mid-market. 
that we think are, are, are important for us to go get. I mean, as I go through our field checks, we feel about as good about our product lineup as we have in quite a while. We've done a decent job at improving the operating margin of the business. We need to go get more business. We've invested in software. Uh, and we do have the tape declines, but we still think we can do better, and we're going to go focus on it. Thanks, Rebecca. Next question, please. Your next question comes from the line of Bill Shope with J.P. Morgan. Please proceed. Okay, great. Thanks. Uh, can you guys comment on the pricing environment in PCs for both uh, commercial and the consumer segments? Uh, there's been a lot of chatter that perhaps your your largest competitors eased up on pricing somewhat, and I'm wondering if you uh, saw any evidence of this throughout the quarter. Uh, nothing spectacular, Bill. I mean, I would say that the quarter was uh, steady. Uh, we didn't see anything extraordinary from a pricing perspective. But I say that against the backdrop of a uh, of a pretty aggressive environment, you know, period. Um, and, you know, we have more than one competitor out there. So, you know, when you look at different markets, there's different people that show up as competitors. And obviously we're very global and we're very competitive in many markets. So, you know, I, I think we wouldn't have said we would say there's nothing extraordinary uh, but there are multiple competitors out there, and so the environment, I'd say, was, was, was steady. That would probably be the best way I could describe it. Okay, thank you. Next question, please, operator. Your next question comes from the line of Brian Alexander with Raymond James. Please proceed. Thank you. Just a, a clarification, then a question on service profitability. Um, the clarification on the revenue guidance, just want to make sure I understand. You're, we should assume that you're looking for normal seasonality in the first quarter, as well as normal seasonality in the PC business specifically uh, to get to the range that you provide, and then I have a follow-up. Yeah, there's nothing, um, no particular new trend that we're trying to convey here. The, the, the guidance, I think, fits with normal trends. Okay, great. And then on, on the service margins, can you just talk about the profitability that you saw in each of the segments within HPS? Uh, where did you see the biggest increase in profitability and what I thought was actually a negative mix shift away from tech services and more toward managed services and consulting? So a couple points, uh, Brian. We don't give the profitability numbers out by by segment uh, specifically, but I would say there are three kinds of costs in the service business. As I mentioned in my prepared comments, there's overhead cost that comes from the corporation into services, and because of its headcount profile, uh, it absorbs quite a bit of that overhead, point one. Point two any services business, even across all three segments, has its own overhead, infrastructure, PBXs. You can go down a whole number of, of, of different characteristics. Um, then you have the actual service delivery itself, and we're working on all three, all three lines. Those, those, those improvements in all three pieces have led us to improve profitability in both consulting and integration and in managed services that's uh, also benefited to some degree, technology services, even with the revenue performance we've had. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. Next question, please. Your next question comes from the line of Louis Muscosha with Cohen. Please proceed. Okay, thank you. Maybe if we could stick with the services area, in the sense you obviously had a very good quarter. Is this something that we should, uh, from a revenue standpoint, expect to sort of continue on a sequential basis because services is a little bit less seasonal to our hardware and some other things? And so maybe if you could also talk about the pipeline. So let me begin. First, season, uh, services is still a little seasonal. Q4 is usually our, our uh, best quarter from a profitability point of view, and Q1 is often a bit more challenged, both on the top line and bottom line. So while it may be less seasonal, there are seasonal trends. We're also being quite, you know, part of it's driven also by projects. And, and so while there is a lot of annuity run rate to the business, there are uh, projects and, and managed services transactions that some we pursue, and we frankly right now are very picky 
uh, about what we do pursue. We have two characteristics: is the one that we can make money, and second that we can deliver the service we commit to. And if either one of those are not there, we'll typically walk away uh, from a transaction. So that's the main reason. Again, I believe <laughs> that cost drives growth, and that we're trying to get our cost structure right. As we do, we'll be in a better position to grow. But we are very particular about how we grow, and we want to grow profitably. So let me just summarize a bit here. I mean, certainly the profit improvements that you saw in Q4 in services, some of them are quite fundamental, and we expect them to continue. At the same time, I wouldn't extrapolate uh, sequentially from Q4 into Q1 when it comes to profit. Thanks, Lou. Next question, please. The next question comes from the line of Chris Whitmore with Deutsche Bank. Please proceed. Thanks. I wanted to follow up on the inventory question. Uh, you've been making strategic buys now for the past several quarters. Uh, should we think about your inventory levels as being structurally higher uh, going forward? In other words, this is an ongoing part of the business we should, we should uh, expect going forward. And secondly, you mentioned making strategic buys in panels, uh, but availability and supply of panels is quite good. I wanted to understand uh, that dynamic a little better. Thanks. Let me start, and Mark can chime in. So with regard to panels, as an example, there are times when suppliers come to us and say, I've got, I've got this um, inventory, and I'll give you a really good price if you buy it from me and take delivery in the next three days, even though we don't need delivery for 20 days or, or something like that. Uh, if, uh, if it's worth it, we will consider doing that kind of thing. Obviously, we have the financial capacity to do so. So we look at the trade-off between the inventory carrying costs, what we think the price trends would be, and how much better this is than what we would predict uh, trends to be. And, and frankly, it has helped us over the, over the past year. Um, whether it's kind of structural or not, that particular one, I don't know. It just depends upon what vendors uh, bring to the table. They could stop doing that, and then that would go away. Other inventory investments that we've made, we mentioned, for example, some uh, changes in the supply chain. Uh, we're moving product production around the world to get lower prices but it adds to the inventory pipeline. That is probably going to continue, not forever, but uh, it's driven generally by uh, country-based economics and is unlikely to change quickly. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's probably going to be with us for a little while. Yeah, I think just to add to it, I mean, first on the panels, uh, sometimes more supply actually creates the best deals, so uh, to Bob's point. Secondly, we've had uh, significant demand for consumer notebooks uh, across the years, so it's been, 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 been quite strong. I think thirdly, we want to get away from thinking about inventory in an isolated metric. And, you know, I like a lot of metrics, but you can get over-metricized in some of these areas. We, we want to look at the aggregated ability to get our capital leveraged at the same time as be able to get the best profitability out in the marketplace. And inventory is only one component of the aggregated mix. So we're looking very hard at interrelating the inventory positions we take to our ability to get into a positive pricing environment or ability to go compete. So the long answer to your question, but the issue is we may keep these inventory levels at the way we are if we think it provides an aggregate economic benefit to your Packard. Next question, please. Your next question comes from the line of Jesse Totora with Prudential. Please proceed. Thanks. Hi, guys. Uh, PSG operating margin increased to 4.3%, ESS to 10.7% in the quarter. What, what do you think the key drivers were behind this, and what's your outlook for these segments going forward? Well, we, we'll, we'll talk more about our outlook going forward when we get to New York. Uh, uh, that, other than we're not going to give any more than the guidance we gave uh, today. 
Um, I think in, in PSG, we've continued to have strong performance in, in notebooks and a strong mix. And, you know, I think it's basically what we've, what we've said. You've seen us take positions in inventory and strategic buys. It's helped us from a margin perspective. We've benefited from a mix of and leverage between AMD and Intel. I mean, a series of things that we've talked about over the past quarters. Uh, I think in ISS, you, uh, and which, which has a main driver in terms of ESS, you've had the same kind of effect from an industry standard server perspective. And it doesn't hurt when you grow because you leap over a lot of your fixed cost structures. So when you get 9% growth in ISS, you know, 38% growth in blades, it's tends to have an effect for you. So I think for us, it's a mix of growth. It's a mix of, it's a mix of balance uh, and our ability to leverage our supply chain. And we feel, uh, we feel made improvement. I can tell you this, that uh, we, uh, we're focused on trying to do better. Okay, we'll take two more questions, please, operator. Your next question comes from the line of Bill Fernley with FTN Midwest. Please proceed. Yes, thanks. Good afternoon. How should we be thinking about levers that drive corporate gross margin improvement going forward? You know, what's the biggest lever? Is it mix? Is it component cost trends? Is it the buys that you're doing? Is it attach rate? Um, how should we be thinking about gross margin improvement now? Hey, Bill, it's Mark. I, I, listen, I think you're on all the right points. I mean, you know, for, for, for us, it's also, remember, a big part of our gross margin is cost of service. So it isn't just what you see in the COGS line, which you hit, I think, quite effectively in terms of our ability to get the attached levels right and the ability to get the mix right. So for us, Bob, I thought, made a very important point about the mix of software that's going to now start folding into our P&L. That is going to have an effect on our, on our gross margin, and, and I think that to the positive. We certainly are doing more work in intellectual property around all of our hardware segments at the same time as we're trying to optimize the mix of all components, whether it be microprocessor uh, all the way through the supply chain, taking better inventory positions, better attached. Cost of service, though, is mainly a headcount-driven model that we're also trying to work hard to not only leverage our labor model, but also deal with automating our service processes. And I think, you know, with those we've said, we've hit a majority of the levers, and at the same time, we've got some fixed cost structure that goes up there, too. So we're trying to pull them all, Bill. Okay, we'll take one final question, please. Your final question comes from the line of Dan Winwatt with Robert Baird. Please proceed. Hi, thanks uh, for taking my question. Um, my question is just on the um, sales hiring and, and your progress there. Can you maybe give us some metrics in terms of the success you've had or where you're at in terms of either number of salespeople added or just how you think about progress there and how much more you have left to do? So I think the answer is sort of uh, to your to your question. We don't give out the you know a, a, a numbers uh, by group and 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 so forth in, in terms of that kind of metric. But I, I would think it'd be fair to say that that we made uh, significant you know progress. I'd say we got more than halfway to the goal that that we were hoping to get to. And and, and you know we had. I can tell you internally we had all kinds of optimistic uh, uh, plans to get people in, but frankly, getting this done, it's more important to us, Dan, to get this done right than to just show up with a bunch of headcounts. So we're really looking for quality people that can really uh, you know, help us change the game, and I'd say we made what, what, what I believe to be the expected progress you would make doing this. We have more to do, and if you know of great people who uh, know a lot about enterprise selling and, and things channel selling, we'd, 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 love, to, we'd love to talk to them. Okay, thanks, Bill. Thanks. Uh, Sorry. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up. Um, let me just summarize today's call by saying that uh, that I am pleased with with the progress in the fourth quarter. Uh, HP delivered solid revenue growth, gained market share in key businesses, uh, drove significant growth in, in in key initiatives, expanded our margins across our segments, delivered our most balanced segment profitability, and posted record quarterly cash flow from operations. 
that we did do this while continuing to make progress on our cost structure by substantially completing our restructuring program, making further progress on strategic initiatives that will strengthen HP's long-term competitive positioning and increasing our non-GAAP EPS guidance for the fifth consecutive quarter. All in all, it was a solid quarter for HP, closing out a strong fiscal 2006. Uh, we do have more work to do, though. Uh, that said, I do believe we're, we're on our way to building a stronger, more competitive HP. And finally, uh, we look forward to seeing you in New York City, our annual uh, securities analyst meeting on December 12th. And thanks again for joining us on the call.